Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Miss Deshona worries we've got you covered on point and on the podcast. The Trudeau government announces a brand new tax during a pandemic and a recession that's going to drive the price up on everything. And Premier Ford loses it. And why? Well, it would please the climate crowd should he call a snap election. We'll talk about that. And how far does one parent go for their child? We'll just say 30 hours of pain. Let's get talking. see restaurants hurt you want to see small businesses hurt you slap 30 percent tax on them and make no mistake about this this is nothing but a 30 percent tax grab i've never ever ever been more disappointed in announcement ever you know, since i've been in politics this i just cannot understand for the life of me a guild tax sold as saving the planet but it doesn't change the fact that the trudeau government just made your lives a lot more expensive during a recession. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, December the 11th. Boy, oh boy. I needed this Friday. I think you needed it. I mean, we all need this Friday. But it's been an incredibly busy news week. I don't know. We normally slow down at this time of year. That is not the case in 2020. But boy, was the uh, premier not mincing any words about this very sudden tax dumped on us by the Trudeau government that... You know, they constantly tell us they've got our backs and uh, now they very much want our wallets. And uh, you, you talk about the timing on this thing. They've decided now is to raise carbon taxes and it's not a little tax. They have tripled the cost of this tax. And as you may recall, it was just last June that Catherine McKenna, she was swearing up and down that the carbon tax was not going up, that the conservatives were lying about this. Well, no. The liberals lied. And so they're tripling this carbon tax from 50 bucks a carbon ton to 170 bucks a carbon ton by 2030. And this will drive up prices on everything. Gas, home heating, food. You're driving everything. And it's happening at a time when people are going broke. And yes, Trudeau, you know, he insists in the middle of the second wave, he insists climate change is the number one crisis we face. But that's wrong. I mean, polling right now, Ever since COVID hit, polling shows the issue isn't even on folks' radar. COVID changed that. A majority of Canadians, what they care about right now are finances and health. And are they going to survive this thing? But he is so, you know, insistent on seizing this moment. He is not going to let this good crisis go to waste, even if he crushes the the country. If we trust scientists with our health, as we do then we must also trust their research and their expertise when it comes to other existential threats. And that includes climate change. There is no vaccine against a polluted planet. 
No, but I wish there was a vaccine for stupid and bad tax policy. And by the way, a lot of folks don't trust the science because it is not settled. Doesn't mean there's not climate change, but the science is not settled. And it clearly was not an issue discussed with the premiers on Thursday, certainly not the premiers in Atlantic Canada. They had just literally yesterday sent a letter to Trudeau begging him to stop the clean fuel tax. Oh, yes, another tax. And so you can imagine their reaction to this bombshell today, which clean, clearly blindsided Doug Ford. I was floored when I heard this. I, I, a matter of fact, I couldn't believe it. I had to double check. And I, I just don't understand for the life of me why you want us to make be uncompetitive when all provinces we're competing for jobs up here we're doing everything we can to create an environment for a company and people to thrive and prosper and grow and all of a sudden a, a sledgehammer comes and hits you over the head and says now you aren't going to be competitive because the federal government's going to make sure we aren't competitive how how can you square that on with people's lives and it isn't just one tax. So the carbon tax triples, but there's also that clean fuel standard tax. And it gets really no attention, but it is coming very, very soon. And I'll talk to Dan McTagg about that at 8 o'clock, because that also will drive up the costs on everything. So Ford is right. You know, this is really, really going to hurt small businesses already on their knees, unless they're already out of business. It makes us a lot less competitive. And, you know, for those who say, well, we got to do our part, we do. We do more than our part. Emissions have been going down in this country for 20 years. And since uh, you look at the 2000 to 2017 period, and per capita emissions dropped 20%. I mean, this is not about the climate. This is ideological policy that will hurt people. And the prime minister's banking on you not noticing because, of course, we're in COVID chaos. Who is paying attention? And it will roll in slow enough that by the time it actually hits, he will have taken us into another election. God help us if he gets a majority. And that's why, you know, a part of this is, you know, hey, we're also going to show our climate base that they're, you know, fulfilling their obsession. So the timing of this is not by accident. Nothing in politics ever is because you, you, will, you know, we're in a Friday. And when, when do you put out controversial or, or possibly bad news? You always dump that on a Friday. You make sure that it doesn't get much of a news cycle, and then hopefully it dulls or, or is forgotten over the weekend. And so should he call a snap election, then he can say, hey, I delivered. And so, look, I, I can't explain the timing of this, anything other than because they can get away with it. But this is why Doug Ford was so pissed off today. This is not political. I don't care if someone's a conservative, liberal, NDP, green, purple, pink party. I don't, geek, I don't care. But the federal government wants to put $15 billion, and God bless the environment. Don't get me wrong. It's very, very important. But the folks at home, you tell me, is your health and well-being of your loved ones and yourself and your job and the economy more important than $15 billion on some green scam or whatever the heck it is? No, it's not. And younger generations, you know, cursing at the radio right now or turning it off, whatever, they'll argue that climate change is the bigger threat. And I'm sorry, it is not. The biggest threat facing this country right now is this virus, which the Trudeau government ignored in the beginning and weren't at all prepared for. And it's threatening to ruin millions. But who raises taxes during a recession during this dumpster fire of a second wave of a virus where, you know, just today we were told 
15,000 people could be dead by Christmas and half a million sick. Well, you know who does that? A government that knows it can get away with it because folks are distracted. And the increase won't mean we meet our targets. Not at all. So it will go up again. Even if they say, no, 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 like they did last June, they've already broken that promise. And the federal uh, financial watchdog warned that for this government to meet these targets that they put into place, they would have to increase the price per carbon ton by $289. So keep that in mind when they promise it won't go up again, because it will. And if you think that Trudeau can't get away with it, he can. Because this whole issue is designed to prey on emotion and guilt. And younger generations have been convinced that the world is coming to an end, even though it was supposed to come to an end in 2016, because that guy Al Gore told us so, remember? Well, oh, look, we're 2020. So while I think a lot of older folks are worrying about going broke and how we're going to pay this pandemic off, you know, the younger generations will remain very much under Greta's spell when it is, in fact, the younger generation right now who should be paying attention to what's going on with all the spending, because it is they who will be absolutely saddled with this calamity, and then on top of it, this ideological policy that will just further drive uh, you know prices up. So we'll talk about this during the show because it is an actual, it's a pretty big uh, spike. Um, we'll also talk about uh, this kind of crazy day. We have more shutdowns for York and Windsor. And yes, fe- more federal modeling numbers that suggest that winter is just simply going to suck because uh, they're not going down. We're going to be locked down for a long time. It's not going to stop the virus. And I think it's clear by now that those in charge do not want to get out any other tools from their toolbox because all they know is lockdowns. So we will talk about that and more. We got lots coming up here on the show. So stay with us. The doctor's on standby here next with us here on Global News Radio. Well, the West Gardner problem that we had approaching the 427 ramp in the left lane, that earlier crash, finally gone. It's still busy out of downtown from before Jarvis, just beyond Spadina, and then a delay from Park Long to the 427 and onto the West QEW on and off delays to about here, Ontario. Then there's a big solid backup from approaching Winston Churchill to just past Ford Drive, a new collision here in two left lanes, and it's also affecting the West 403 with delays from just beyond Dundas. Then on the 401, westbound collector problems at Dixie, they have been cleared, but now we got a new one on the East 401, and it's also at near Dixie in the collector to express transfer, and that blocks the left lane. Also got a new collision in Etobicoke, East 401 Express approaching Islington. That blocks the left lane too, and a delay from the 427. Now until Wednesday, visit Shoppers Drug Mart for the bonus redemption event and get more for your points. A Shoppers Drug Mart exclusive. Restrictions apply, details in store. I'm Ari Urbinovich, it's Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, Shopper Traffic. I'm a strong believer of protecting the environment, but you don't have to protect the environment on the backs of the hardworking people of this province and this country at a time that we're just, people are barely holding on by their fingernails and you want to throw a 30% cost of living increase onto the backs of the people? If we trust scientists with our health, as we do, then we must also trust their research and their expertise when it comes to other existential threats, and that includes climate change. There is no vaccine against a polluted planet. 
There's also not a vaccine for bad policy. I wish there were. But once upon a time, and it was not too long ago, I'll take you back to June of last year, in fact. It was the Trudeau government who promised, you know, carbon taxes won't go past $50 a ton. But that was then and this is now. And so during the worst recession we've seen since World War II and at the height of the second wave that is uh, predicted as of today to kill possibly 15,000 by Christmas Day, the Trudeau government's deciding that now is the time to break all promises on carbon taxes and raise them from 50 bucks to 170 a ton by 2030. Uh, that is assuming the promise isn't uh, broken again. And what does this mean for us? Well, we'll pay more on everything starting in 2022 on everything, be it at the pump, be it in your home, be it at the grocery store, you name it, you'll pay for it. But wait, there is more. Because this is separate from the clean fuel standard tax that very few know about that's also coming in and will also drive up costs on everything. Someone who has been mourning about this one for a long time is Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP and President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, and he joins us now. Good to have you. Oh, good to be here, Alex, and thank you for being one of the few media that... Uh uses me quite often for gas price prediction, except when it comes contrary to their interest in these, uh, this stunned announcement today uh, that I think is going to leave a lot of Canadians hurt. So I'll be talking to my uh, other folks down the road when gas price predictions take place because uh, I'll remind them that uh, their numbers are off. Uh, it's not 27 cents a litre, Alex. It's 48 cents a litre, and probably more than half of that will not be rebated. Yeah, well, you know, last night we talked about it, and you were concerned about the clean fuel tax um, coming in. But, yep. you know, it's pretty, um, you got to have the cojones to, to come into a pandemic in the situation where now when the recession has businesses on its knees to raise a tax that really is going to hurt everyday people, make us less competitive. I mean, you heard the premier today. He was, uh, I mean, he went on and on and on. I mean, I could run the whole thing. I mean, he was furious about this. Well, the premier is not listening to elitists. Uh, this prime minister is. Uh, and it's always really the same group of people who tend to share information, you know, the whole thing about the scientists. If, there were, if the scientists were absolutely clear about uh, the climate, they would actually have come out with something called a theory on climate, or at least a law on climate. They've not done that. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is the prime minister, of course, completely denigrated Canada's clean energy reality. Uh, you, you heard him talk about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, there, you can't find a vaccine for uh, for uh, a polluted planet. The fact is, if this prime minister had any interest in looking after so-called pollution, and here I'm referring to the things that actually truly do pollute, not the stuff I exhale or you exhale on a daily basis, things like uh, sulfur dioxide, NOx, SOx, that whole, uh, that whole gamut, he discovered that Canada is among the cleanest producing energy uh, nations of the world. And if he doesn't know that, and perhaps the people of Toronto listening right now will realize that most of our electricity comes from nuclear. And for over half a century, that's been damn clean. So I think people need to really wake up, stop listening to this phony, and recognize that he's about to cost you far more than you could possibly imagine at precisely the worst time when you should be focusing on how the hell he gets the economy up and running. I'm a liberal of, what, 38 years? Half of that spent as a liberal MP. This is not the Liberal Party, and these are extraordinarily dangerous policies being, a, being a forwarded by a prime minister who is too afraid to come out and tell you the numbers. Uh, you saw Atlantic Canada yesterday saying we can't afford this. Uh, there is such thing as energy poverty. It's a lot worse now than then. We are heading towards a depression caused by this guy who is completely ideologically t transfixed at our collective expense. 
Well, I mean, I find it interesting that Stephen Gubo, a very junior guy, but a very high-ranking kind of climate activist uh, with uh, Greenpeace at one point, I mean, he's now, um, you know, front and center on these policy announcements, and he has one agenda, and it's a very ideological agenda, and I guess the government is not afraid to put him on the on the face of this. But the financial watchdog has said in the past, you know, in order to uh, reach these unattainable targets uh, by this government, they would have to actually increase the price to $289. Right. Um, and so, you know, this announcement may buy time and please the climate crowd should a snap election get called, which I think this is setting us up for that. Um, but it's not going to do what they're telling us it's going to do. It's just going to cost us money. And it's money we don't have. No one has. Look, what the prime minister is trying to suggest, what Trudeau is trying to push is his cute little electrification agenda. He wants to stop all internal combustion engines. That's fine. But you don't have the electrical grid to support it in terms of production. That is the generator. You you do not have the transmission lines, the infrastructure, the local infrastructure on the municipal side, and you sure as hell don't have it in, in most homes. So how he's planning to do this by borrowing even more money. He's talking borrowing another 15 bloody billion bucks when he's just running up the damn tab by $400 billion in the past eight months. Are people, abs- if they ask, stop and think about this, this man is prepared to set this country up so it is going to be run by the International Monetary Fund over the next year to year and a half. This is insanity. And if anybody takes it credibly, the, the fact is that very smart people are mimicking what he's saying. And I hear it parading, well, the prime minister today announced it. The prime minister has announced something that I consider would be very much a recipe for disaster. And I think he's basically signing his own political death warrant as soon as people realize, uh, you know, they're getting their electrical bills and they're seeing that they're already up. That's because of the Green Energy Act. Same cast of characters are about to destroy the Canadian economy. Sure, but there will be a people who, uh, there are a lot of people who will buy into this because, first of all, they dumped it on a Friday afternoon, so they get the news cycles uh, quiet over the weekend. And then there are is a generation behind us that will very much and are very much buying into this and, and see this as the existential threat of our lifetime um, because it's yeah. it's it's basically yeah. been in, indoctrinated and wrapped in <laughs> yes, guilt. And, and that's not to say that there's not, we don't have to do our part, but Canada does its part. We are very responsible. Uh, can we do better? Sure. But this is not how it's going to be done. And the Atlantic premiers, as you as you mentioned yesterday, have written the, the Trudeau government based on the clean fuel tax. So they were begging him, don't put this in. How do no. you think they're going to react to this? Well, I know how they're going to react because it was my report through the LFX and Associates where we brought four economists together, did five case studies and came out with a report that said this is going to cost Canada 30,000 jobs. It's going to cost uh, you and I, an extra 600 bucks a year here in Ontario. It's going to see the uh, removal of about 11,200 jobs. Now, that's uh, assuming that they were going to uh, bring in the second carbon tax, the clean fuel standard, which is, of course, itself a dishonest name. We have clean fuel already in Canada. Uh, they were also going to uh, apply it to coal and they were going to apply it to natural gas. They're not going to do that. So they're going doubling down, tripling down, if you will, on only one thing, and that's war on diesel war on gasoline, and war on heating fuel. So the Atlantic provinces, they're done. They're snuckered. How does Atlantic Canada, uh, how does Newfoundland get natural gas? There's no pipeline that brings natural gas to Newfoundland. So they have no choice. They're snuckered. And I would expect that uh, the Liberal members of Parliament uh, uh, for those regions are probably not going to be very sleeping very well this Christmas break. I see the house just rose this afternoon, uh, mostly because they know their goose is cooked. No one in that part of the world where energy poverty pre-pandemic was about 13% compared to 8% for the rest of the country can afford this. And I think when you look here in Ontario, the devastation uh, this will will brought, there will be no money 
for the government to subsidize electric vehicles, much less subsidize manufacturers and building them when the, when, the, uh, when the cupboards are bare. And frankly, we're at that point now, unfortunately for all of us. Mm-hmm. This is a prime minister that got, gets away with a lot of nonsense and smoke and mirrors. At the end of all of this, though, there's a price to pay. We have to get through this pandemic. We haven't got the money, and we certainly don't have an, uh, an energy industry left to pay the bills. So, folks, get ready to lose your Medicare. Get ready to lose your jobs. And, of course, get ready to lose your social programs because they're all at, uh, at risk now. Well, and, and, and did I hear right that Quebec is exempt from this? Quebec has its own uh, carbon pricing. Um, British Columbia has its own carbon carbon pricing, but they don't get a rebate. And that rebate works out to about maybe half of what you are actually going to spend in a given year. So look, you get to, he's going to increase the part that says you get a half a a rebate. uh, But on the other part, which is the clean fuel standard, 31 cents will be the net increase um, plus uh, HST. So 35 cents a liter will be because he's going to $170 a ton from $30 a ton by 2030. Another $0.12 cents plus HST will not be rebated, and that will bring us to a total increase of about 50, 48 to $0.52 cents a litre uh, between now and 2030. It means that you won't be driving any kind of vehicle, much less a, a green vehicle, uh, unless, of course, you have a rich uncle or somebody who can loan you some money. Or a unicorn. Well, hey, as you know, quote unquote, if you repeat it, if you say it louder, if that's your talking point, people will totally believe it. And uh, I guess Catherine McKenna will have to change all her talking points now. (laughs) She will. And you will all be checking the fact that we get to net zero. They're talking about the net zero in your bank account, not the net zero in terms of (laughs) ridiculous climate objectives. Thank you, Dan. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Alex. All righty, good to have you here on this Friday. Very busy Friday at that. And, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau can brag all he wants about his big vaccine portfolio. But if he can't get that into the arms of Canadians, he could pay a very big political price. So without question, you know, the 249000 announced suddenly this week, it's political. Because the bottom line is, had they not gotten anything in the window while other countries are delivering millions, it would be terrible for his political fortune. So for now, you know, he's got public opinion on his side. He's got the optics of dose, you know, doses of vaccines going into Canadians. But if that rollout starts to dribble and drab by the spring, Canadians are not going to be all that, you know, excited or distracted. So it could change political fortunes in a snap. Daryl Bricker is CEO, of course, of Ipsos Polling, who does all our polling here at Global, also author of Next, which is a great stocking stuffer. And I uh, I would say what I'm doing with it, but my family listens to the show, but author of Next, which uh, is uh, probably the read every Canadian should have um, within their midst. And he joins us now. Good to have you, Daryl. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Well, I'm, I'm, I was just going to talk to you about vaccines, but I'm also going to throw in the issue about climate change because I do think it is also very strategic and political at this point. Um, but the bottom line is, as long as Trudeau is seen to be doing something, he is winning. Yeah, his, in, in fact, even before anything happened this week, uh, he already had 66% public approval uh, in terms of how he was handling the vaccine issue. But I should say, Alex, a lot of this is about hope rather than people actually uh, knowing anything at, at the present time. So the, uh, there, there isn't a lot of knowledge about what we have access to, and in particular, when people will be able to access what we have access to. 
Right. And people will say, well, you're being cynical when you say like, look, he got the vaccine. Well, yeah, we didn't have anything. And he was saying just three weeks ago, we're not going to have anything until late spring. And then voila, vaccines all of a sudden appear. So my thinking is they probably paid extra to get something. Um, And so look, the bottom line is he's got to deliver on these promises because we know that uh, America is going to have millions, up to 120 million uh, vaccinated by possibly January. And if Americans, British, the uh, you know India, Mexico, if all those countries are seen to be miles ahead of Canada, um, that is when people start to really, it's not even a hope, people are going to get pissed off. Yeah, they're not going to be happy because in particular, it's not just the number of people who get vaccines there, but it's about how quickly we turn back to some form of normalcy in those places. And if we're still living through lockdowns here and uh, uh, vaccinations are proceeding at a creep, people are going to be turning to the the the, 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 uh, the groups that are responsible for this, namely the federal government, because it's the one that's really stuck up its hand on vaccines and ask, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And, and the bottom line is he's going to go to a snap election you know, as long as his polling is in his favor. And so they poll internally. He knows what his numbers are. And they will call it the second they think it is to their strategic, um, you know, advantage. And uh, no coincidence, I'm sure that the election rules were, were tabled in a bill yesterday. And so there's all these little hints that a snap election could be called any time, you know, from now. Yeah, the problem that he's got is all the timing on the, uh, the uh, vaccines, though. So if... Uh, you know, we looked at looked at potential take up. So the government's basically announced that 125,000 people, because it's two doses to be effective with the, with the new Pfizer vaccine, are going to have vaccines by the end of December. OK, well, the public's going to be reasonably OK with that because they think it's going to first responders and it's going to the vulnerable and uh, and people working in the healthcare profession, that kind of thing. But we're going to get into January where there's probably going to be an anticipation that those people are going to be covered off. And then the next thing we're going to turn to is not what's happening out there to people who are in those situations, but what's happening for me. And this is going to be evaluated based on what's happening in people's own lives and in their own families and in their own social circles. Yeah. And and bottom line, you know, we don't know what it's going to look like, but I mean, it would seem insanity to call an election during a pandemic, but he's going to go when he's going to go. And so, you know, it's interesting, you know, today, late Friday, you know, we get this big announcement about, um, you know, they're going to increase the carbon tax. Now, that is a broken promise because last June, Catherine McKenna uh, swore up and down that the conservatives were lying, that it would not go above $50 a a, um, carbon ton or, you know, and, and so here we are and they've now tripled it. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, why would he go to an election if he's just increased taxes? And my philosophy is, first of all, this checks off an important box, um, you know, for his climate base uh, who will say, oh, wow, he's, he's fulfilling a promise. So you can go out and say, look, we're doing something. It wedges then the conservatives. But am I wrong, you know, to say that he is banking on people uh, feeling guilty about the climate um, and he is banking on people not noticing right now because there's so much chaos going on? Yeah, when we ask people what's the most important issue facing the nation, uh, last uh, time in the last election, it was climate was right near the very top, if not at the top in a given week. Now it's down in the middle and uh, competing with a whole series of other issues. People are completely preoccupied at the moment by three things. Coronavirus way ahead in mm-hmm. dealing with the pandemic. Number two, the economy. Number three, health care. 
Right. And, and and those issues aren't going to change. I mean, I, you know, they call, they talk about climate change and, and younger generations will tell me and they do tell me, no, no, this is the existential threat. And I say, well, way you've, you've seen really the collateral damage of COVID. And, and my feeling is, you know, the longer this goes on and when we actually start to see the economic damage that this has done, which will be in the coming couple of months, um, you know, and people start to really feel these policies because it's nice. You get that you get these huge tax increases that don't kick in for a couple of years. Well, it's easy to announce these things, but they, they tend to hit later when people don't realize, oh, that's what that was about. Yeah, and the point right now is that when people are thinking about tomorrow, they're literally thinking about Saturday. So talking to them about policies that are going to have an impact sometime in the distant future or are going to save us from some problem that's going to happen in somewhat distant future is not really at the top of the priority list. This next election is not going to be about climate change. It's going to be about dealing with what the remnants of this pandemic are if they decide to go through uh, with having an election in the springtime and then dealing with the economic calamity that's been caused in the country as a result of the pandemic. And so are you surprised to see what was announced today? And do you think uh, strategically it's a mistake for them? Uh, no, I don't. I, I think that there's enough noise out right there right now that the people who are really, really interested in climate change, who have uh, you know, kind of evaded what the general population is thinking about, which is really about the, the pandemic, this will be a, you know, a box ticked for them. Uh, and uh, done in an environment in which the people who are the critics are uh, on this issue are not as concerned about this issue at the moment. So, um, I, you know, I think it's a fairly reasonable thing for them to do, given what their uh, what their, their governing agenda is and what they believe that their commitments are to the country and how they want to change it. I don't think that uh, uh, what they did today is going to really cause them any harm because I actually don't think it's going to matter that much if we really do have an election in the springtime in which we're going to be focused on their performance on the biggest crisis that's faced this country in, in many, many years. Yeah, and for whatever reason, they seem to have skated through this thing, but uh, I guess time will tell. Daryl, appreciate your time always. Appreciate it too. Thank you. That is Daryl Bricker, not just from uh, Ipsos Polling, but the author of the book uh, Next, Where to Live, What to Buy, and Who Will Lead Canada's Future. So this is kind of required reading, I think, for Canadians. And again, let's celebrate Canadian talent and let's uh, get something under the tree this year. Well, there is pretty much nothing a parent will not do for their child, but I think this one, it definitely raises the bar. When this Alberta dad realized his eight-year-old son was getting a little bit quiet, kind of acting out of sorts. He knew something was up. And it turned out that it was his son who had become very self-conscious about a rather large brown birthmark that covers a big portion of his left torso. And so what does his dad do? Well, he made sure his son Derek Jr. didn't feel alone and then went and spent 30 hours at the end of a tattoo gun to get a matching tattoo on his torso. Derek Prue joining us now from Stony Plain, Alberta. And um, I welcome you to the show, Derek. And honestly, there, there's no greater um, you know, thing a parent will do for their child, even if it hurts. Yeah, well, uh, there was some pain involved, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, you know, a lot more than, than I had thought. But uh, yeah, it was... Uh, just felt like the uh, you know the right uh, the right thing to do, and and uh, I'm certainly glad that uh, that I did it. I, I figure though that the pain you went through is is probably less than than watching your child and knowing that they feel like they're different. Yeah, it was uh, it was tough to uh, you know to see him um, go through that, and um, you know going from a place of being um, super confident to 
you know, not wanting to take a shirt off and, and, um, you know, worrying about what other people thought. So it just kind of hit me, um, one day that, uh, you know, that I could, uh, go ahead and, and, um, give myself the same exact mark or as close to it as, as, as possible. And yeah, that's kind of the road that I went down. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's it's amazing what a great job they did. It it looks exactly the same. And you're right. It's it is a rather large birthmark. But when when you're a parent and your baby's born, you don't care about these imperfections because it doesn't mean anything. And of course, when they're younger, uh, they don't notice it either. Um, but then there's this age around seven or eight that all of a sudden kids know, you know, they start to look for differences and they point them out. And that is an age where they, they might start to think, okay, I, I'm not like the other kids. And so I think it's, it's pretty cool or amazing that, that you had that kind of empathy and understanding and, uh, and how does Derek Jr. feel about it? Uh, he likes it. He, um, yeah, he, uh, he always wants to check and see if it's still there. And I can tell him it's going to be there forever. <laughs> like it's not going anywhere. And, uh, he likes that. It's, uh, you know, that's the same as his and, and, um, you know, certainly weren't really planning on having any type of attention, but, um, um, he kind of likes that too. And the, the fact that it's become a story and it's, you know, it's pretty cool. And the kids in his class want to talk about it. And, um, you know, it's turned it from, uh, from a negative to a positive in, in his mind anyways, and doesn't worry about wearing the, the shirt, uh, now when it goes to school. Isn't that interesting? That's something he probably wanted to hide from the world. Now everyone's talking about it, which in, in essence will end up normalizing it for him. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I certainly um, just wanted it, you know, to, you know, I, I wanted it to show that uh, that it was okay, and and that's why I did it. And and the fact that it has got so much attention is kind of even makes it even more, um, um, you know, cool. I'm I'm sure in his eyes uh, anyway. Um, um, that uh, you know that that's something that people aren't scared to talk about and actually think that it's uh, a positive thing. And it is a large tattoo. I mean, you got a very big area done. Um, it had to have hurt slightly. That's a pretty sensitive area. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm not a big tattoo guy, so I thought, uh, you know, it's going to be three or four hours. Um, it took me a while to find somebody that would even do it. So Tony and, and the, the folks at, at Juicy Quill kind of decided to take it on um, just because, you know, I had no idea it was going to be that big of an undertaking. And from a, from a, I guess, tattoo practitioner um, standpoint, like it's not it's not, uh, easy. It's not, you know, you, you have, he has to bear down, um, maybe not with the pain, but he has to bear down just as hard as I do for, you know, up to six hours at a time, really just, you know, pushing hard just to get the ink in because it all ends up being outline where, where I thought it would just be shading. It's really the whole, the whole area is a, is a dark outline. So he's got to really push it in. And, and yeah, as far as the area, um, I guess the, the ribs, the rib cage are, are one of the most sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, you know, a lot of guys with a lot of tattoos, that's the, one of the last ones that they do. So <laughs> I'm, kinda, I'm glad knowing into it that, that uh, it's one of those things where you're kind of glad you didn't know uh, um, um, until you got in there. And then, then you're, you know, then, uh, then it's not as bad. But uh, I'm glad that starting it, I thought it was going to be three or four hours and didn't know it was going to be 30 hours. And I should point out for our listeners who don't have the visuals of, you know, it's not a black tattoo. It is the same kind of liver coloring that you would have as a birthmark. And and so it, it actually, if I didn't know and no one told me, I would think that it's a natural birthmark. So it looks very, very real. 
Yeah, yeah, no, they did a, an awesome job and, and had a, like a little bit of the, the like you said, the reddish, um, reddish brown kind of liver um, shading to it, and and, uh, and and they've went over it a couple of times in different spots too, where where they weren't totally happy with the um, the consistency. So, yeah, no, I think I'm I'm super happy with the way it turned out. And and other than than the media curiosity and, and getting that kind of attention, what has the reaction been like, and how has this really changed Derek from be kind of before and after? Have you seen him come out of a show? Uh, yeah, for sure. He's uh, yeah, he he likes um, you know he kind of likes the spotlight a little bit, and he's a bit of mm-hmm. a character for sure. So he uh, yeah he, he well he kind of said uh, as a um, as a joke, you know, oh you know. That, you know, it, it, will it be famous? I, you know, I didn't really think anything of it, but that's kind of the way it's turned out, and, and lots of um, obviously interest in in it. And then I think, you know, probably because of the commonality with everybody, at sometimes probably felt uh, a bit different. And, and this is a way to, you know, I think show that uh, that uh, you don't have to feel bad about it, or you know, it's everybody being different, different is a okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to be honest, uh, you're kind of dad of the year. Uh, it, it's a, a pretty astonishing and, and um, amazing thing to see. So definitely uh, Santa will be hopefully good to you. And uh, just uh, on a side note, a mom is good with it too? Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. Everybody uh, everybody is happy with it. And I, you know, I canvassed a few people just to ask what they thought because, um, you know, when I thought of it, I, I kind of looked and seen if, if they're, you know, uh, anyone had done and I couldn't really find too many um, examples so I kind of wanted to see you know what, what other people thought and it really before even doing it um, uh, a lot of people thought it was a really neat idea and I you know not that I was doing it for anybody else but it's always good to take people's temperature and right from the beginning everybody thought that it was uh, you know, kind of a wonderful idea of something uh, something to do and um, so I'm just glad it's turned out to be uh, such a positive story well yeah, well, you got an extra bond with your uh, with your son Derek Jr. and uh, it's a it's quite a story, and I I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you so much. That is Derek Prue joining us from Stony Plain, Alberta, and uh, there you go, Dad of the Year. You of course can join us Monday through Friday, six thirty sharp here on Point. Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.